1: Good evening, and welcome to Things Worth Considering. We're a weekly talk show that likes to present ideas for you to ponder, to disagree with, and hopefully that you will consider worthy of your consideration. I'm Gord Riddell, your host, and I'm here with my co-host, our very own doctor of naturopathic medicine, Alexia Georgius. Good evening. Good evening, Gord. How are you? How are you? We're so separated. I haven't seen you in months. Months you become this little two-dimensional thing on a screen. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's like I never, you know, they always said about having long-distance relationships. Everybody has become a long-distance relationship. Um, True. True. So uh, we are live so that you know. I would like you to join in on this conversation. We have a great guest. Um, uh, you can call toll-free anywhere in North America at 1-888-346-9141. International callers can give us a call at 001-480-553-5760. Now, today we're going to be entering into the world of homeopathy. Uh, It's been around for the last 300 years, uh, but most of us don't know a whole lot about it. Uh, Some might have actually not a great great understanding of it. Um, The American Journal of Public Health recently published a survey article out of Harvard University that shows that homeopathic medicine still only used by a small fraction of the U.S. population, has actually jumped 15%, which is pretty substantial actually. uh, In In addition, most users put homeopathy among the top three complementary and integrative strategies that they use in their healthcare. So we should be talking about this. I would like to uh, introduce you to the person who will take us through this journey of homeopathy, Mr. Daniel Derassier. He is the president and chief executive officer of the largest maker of homeopathic products, Boiron Canada, which is a subsidiary of Boiron France. Uh, Daniel was born in Marseille, in France, obviously, and interestingly, he has a solid background in pharmacy. Daniel holds a graduate degree from the Institute of Industrial Pharmacy. He also holds a doctorate degree in pharmacy from the Université, I'll just jump to the end, Marseille. (laughs) Uh, There was a lot in the middle there. He has more than 18 years, 19 years now of experience uh, and expertise in the homeopathic medicine industry. He sits on the board of directors of the Canadian Homeopathic Pharmaceutical Association and is also a member of the Canadian Health Food Association. He is not one to miss an opportunity to participate in debates, forums, roundtables, and even media interviews. Thank you, Uh, in order to positively advance the issues concerning homeopathy and its active contribution to patient well-being by occupying its rightful place with any approach to integrative medicine. Danielle, welcome.
2: Thank you, merci. It's a pleasure and to have you here. Good evening, Alexia, good evening, Gord. I'm very happy to be here.
1: Great, great. Now, I have to ask you from a like, you know, a personal you know, perspective here. So here you are with a doctorate in pharmacy and you bolted, you jumped the fence <laughs> and moved over to the complementary side of the world. What? Where did that happen? What was that interest there?
2: Well, it's not one against the other. It's one with the other. And um, I was born and raised in France, where in France and in Europe, uh, it's more accepted. It is. Uh, w- yeah, integrative medicine and combining different therapies is part of how we grew up, number one. But to be totally transparent with you, I was a skeptic. I was a, a pharmacy student and I was told uh, that, in fact, this uh, concept was impossible and in the beginning. And I was challenging that. So, you know, I was 24, 23 years old and I, I thought I knew everything. Of and of course, and then I I met of course uh, uh, everything happens because of women.
3: Uh, yeah. Yay! <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> the mother of my ex girlfriend, my first girlfriend, was really into homeopathy, and she knew this physician, a physician practicing homeopathy. Imagine for a skeptic like me, uh, how weird it was. And I was dealing with chronic conditions such as you know sinus infections that I couldn't treat with. You can name all the antihistamine medications. And it happened that, you know, these uh, weird names, weird pellets, uh, I took them after a prescriptions, a long uh, consultation, and it worked. And because I'm like St. Thomas, I only believe what I see. And <laughs> <laughs> I started opening my mind. It's really?
3: fantastic. And because the thing is, what you're speaking of when you, so you finished, you went on and you finished your pharmacy degree, and then you went on to do the doctorate. I'm curious about your interest in research, or did you bring that interest in, into homeopathy in your studies?
2: Well, first of all, homeopathy is teached at the university during your last cycle, which is the fifth and the sixth year. So you have really? to attend these modules where you see this pharmacist uh, expert in homeopathy, and he comes and give you, provide you some information to be well-informed. So basically, I, uh, I, I discovered at that time that there was some clinical research on it, which I didn't think it was ap- happening.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and then I started challenging him and mm-hmm. I started reading about that. And, uh, and that's how, in fact, my interest, uh, I was really intrigued by it. So I started reading about it and challenging it and I saw that it worked.
3: Yeah, fantastic. I think that is so fantastic because, I mean, we'll we'll go into the idea of the concepts, and I know that that is often very challenging, even in naturopathic medicine, of course, as you know, it's part of our curriculum. Um, you know, there's been some changes over the years around, uh, you know, the the embracing homeopathy or sharing it. And I think what I found was that often colleagues and classmates that I had who were from Europe who are physicians trained in different parts of the world, including Europe. But as you said, they were very comfortable with using, you know, natural therapies, whether it was plant medicine directly like a botanical, but also homeopathy. So it wasn't separate. And here it is. So what is that? What is that about here in North America?
2: You have to go back to history, so we'll talk about Hanman and how homeopathy was popular in the early 90s and even during the 18s. But um, I don't want to go into much details, but there's a gap in the 90s where homeopathy almost disappeared in history for many reasons. And um, and there's a lack of education. There's a lack of schools teaching it. Mm. And that's where it's coming from. You know, everything comes from what you learn at the university, as a medical doctor, physician, or a pharmacist, or even naturopath doctor.
3: Yes, yes.
2: And um, yeah. So in Germany, for example, for you know, decenies and century, it was taught at the university by these credentials and special uh, specialty doctors. So, of course, it's all based on education. If you don't have part, uh, homeopathy, part of your educational program, how can you be you know, well-informed, well-trained, and be a good practitioner integrating it? Mm-hmm. So, but homeopathy survived in North America because of mothers. I mm-hmm. keep repeating myself. The mothers, and it came from one generation to another. It was transmitted, and this knowledge uh, you know, kept you know, uh, alive.
3: That's fantastic. And I know, I, I know that the history with homeopathy in North American education and and all of this. But let's let's go back to around Hahnemann, mm-hmm. you know, it, that you must have been quite fascinated with him when uh, you learned about uh, homeopathy, I would imagine, because he was uh, like a true scientist, in my opinion, you know?
2: Well, your opinion is right. Dr. Hahnemann was a physician a German physician, and by the way, there's a statue about, uh, in Washington about this guy. This guy was not only the founder of homeopathy, he was the founder of pharmacology. So not a lot of people know about that.
3: No, I, yeah.
2: Yeah, and, uh, and this guy had a real impact in healthcare back in the days, and still, actually. And at that time, he was really disappointed about the way how Medicine was running back in the days. uh, You know, medical practice at the time consisted in purging, bloodletting, the use of chemicals such as mercury, for example. And so, you know, he was really disappointed, and he tried to find a way how to treat people without harming them. Mm. And uh, that's when he worked on the concept of like yours, like yes, not a. Everybody understands this concept, but it's pretty easy. You take, in fact, a substance that produces in a healthy person some uh, specific symptoms. Well, you dilute this substance, and it will cure the similar symptoms on a sick person. That's the principle of like, just like. We can take multiple examples that we'll talk down the road. And that was kind of a revolution at that time. And uh, and, uh, and that's why homeopathy was very popular in the early 80s and for at least uh, uh, more than a century, because it was not harming. And during some specific pandemic uh, uh, period, uh, it was very effective. Physicians found that it was very effective on various epidemic diseases such as cholera, yellow fever, uh um scarlet fever uh and i can name a bunch and of spanish
3: them. flu i believe too spanish flu as well
2: exactly and that was more in the early 90s mm. for the spanish oh, right, flu.
3: right yeah right.
1: the 1900s yeah you're like we're talking um just so that we're clear on dates here H- hanneman's back in the 1700s
2: it yes and he discovered
1: homeopathy
3: in 1796.
1: okay okay so we're going from 17 into the 1800s 1900s and then up to today Right. Yes. Yeah.
3: Sorry, I missed that date. That date. But when you were going on about the not going on when you were talking, sharing about the different, different ailments and and also the efficacy. Correct. The, the and this this aspect of not harming the the client or the patient. Right. Trying to heal them or or support them without damaging, without making them more ill. I think is is a very profound. Um, you know, way to look at, at, at medicine.
2: It's the, the biggest opportunity uh, for homeopathy, the safety aspect of it, of course, with along with the efficacy. But back in the days, we, it was the real definition of science as it is right now. And we'll talk about science down the road. There, uh, but um, at that time, they were doing some experimentations, observations, and then after they were repeating the process, and that's basically the, 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 the definition of, home, uh, of, of science, you know. I observe, I, I experiment, and I repeat, and I measure after that. And that's what they were doing it back in the days. Hmm.
1: Hmm. I think that the, the idea of taking something and capturing the essence, you know, like it's so minute whatever the, the, you know, the atomic elements are left in the, 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 the remedy to the fact that there may not even be there. It's actually the essence, the energy of it. I think people, including myself are going, what? But yeah. yet on the other hand, the way you just explained something was by diluting, diluting and bringing it down is, is you're basically talking about another form of how vaccines have been working over the years.
2: It's the concept of diluting enough to not harm. Right, um, but it's not, of course, the same process—the manufacturing process—as you manufacture a vaccine.
1: Oh no, no, but, no! I agree, yeah. but it's just that idea that if yes. you expose the body to something, the body then learns very quickly and responds back.
2: You're totally right. The idea is to stimulate your 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 body to react yeah. against a symptom. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, it's a, it's a slight parallel, but I'm, I'm I'll take straws at this point just so I, I can understand it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's, it's more the, I mean, I understand it's almost a form of energetic medicine, really.
2: Um, we are, there's still some work to do uh, on that aspect, but don't forget on these dilutions, there are at least two different levels, even three. They are what we call the low dilutions, which are dilutions that are traceable. So it's before the avocado number. So you still have a trace of that. You can measure your substance, your active ingredients, And at the avocado number, I don't want to be too technical at a 10 minus 21, 22 anyhow, uh, then which is the 12C to 13C, then we cannot measure anymore. And this is the most intriguing part that people have a hard time understanding homeopathy. Why is there any efficacy when we cannot trace this substance anymore? So in this products that you see, you know, over the market, over the counter, uh, in the marketplace, basically you have, most of the products are low dilutions, but pre- but uh, some uh, practitioners are recommending also some high dilutions. Okay. And, and, it, and it happens that they are effective. There are studies showing that it works. So this is how the biggest challenge, but the most beautiful journey for homeopathy in the next 10 years is to explain the mechanism of action.
3: Mm. Yeah. And I, I, I think that it is very profound in terms of um, how advanced on many levels homeopathy was in Hahnemann, how he was looking at this in terms of the aspect of really energy and vibration, which is now starting to come in to science, the conventional world around epigenetics and the aspect of seeing that there is something here that we don't see because just because it doesn't show up as matter, something solid, it does not mean it isn't there, which I, okay. I, I don't really understand it myself, but in terms of, you know, the aspect of quantum physics, but I think that it's in this category.
2: You're totally right by mentioning the quantum physics and there are a lot of work done right now, currently in Europe, in Germany, uh, in, in France and, and the UK. Um, but what we know also uh, talking about science, that there are some uh, analysis made uh, with technologies and modern technologies, such as, you know, the nuclear magnetic, magnetic uh, resonance, or sorry for my accent, or the Raman spectroscopy. And, um, and these uh, technologies show that, in fact, uh, when you have a pure water uh, and a water containing a homeopathic preparation, even diluted, they are not identical and that we can prove. And this is where the uh, science needs to evolve and, and work really uh, uh, in depth to, uh, to have a better understanding.
1: Right. I think that we're, we're stuck in a place like, especially when we come to energetic medicine, of we can't take this intangible and put it to the scientific model. We keep trying to put, it, put new things into an <coughs> old model of measurements. And until we say, okay, we need to let go of this one and move on to developing new ways of measuring things that are exactly. yeah. then maybe we can get somewhere. Like to say that energy healers or Reiki practitioners don't have an impact on someone because they can't measure it, don't tell me that it doesn't have. A million people cannot be anecdotally wrong, you know?
3: Absolutely, yeah.
2: absolutely. Yeah. We, 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 on indeed. that point,
1: I'm gonna cut you off. Yeah. <laughs> I took the last vest, I'm sorry. But we need to take a break here. We will be back in two minutes with Mr. Danielle Deressier. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash voiceamerica.
0: Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Follow the Voice America Empowerment Channel on Twitter. You already know we're full of great ideas and our hosts have plenty to say. We want to hear from you, too. Be sure to follow us at VA Empowerment and come back every day to see what's next.
2: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
0: Listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgusis. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now back to Things Worth Considering.
1: Hi, and welcome back. Uh, we are exploring the world of homeopathy, and uh, Danielle is here and he is taking calls. Uh, if you would like to uh, phone in, uh, toll-free in North America, 1-888-346-9141. And for international callers is 001-480-553-5760. Your calls are more than welcome if you would like to get in on a conversation. So where were we? We were talking about not knowing how to measure things properly anymore. <laughs> That's just my, my, my approach to this. But I think that we are stuck in some old paradigms that the new evolving paradigms just aren't fitting. And so, you know, hey, rather than invalidating what's new, is we need to maybe start to revalidate the way we used to measure. It worked then, it just isn't working now. You you. are I don't know. <laughs> that a question. Somebody <laughs> better jump in. There's a conversation <laughs> going on
2: here. <laughs> you are right by saying that the new the the actual technologies are not are capable to to answer these questions, but you mentioned also Alexia, that you know the quantum, quantum physics uh, will play a fair share there, and uh, they are, we need to explore a bit more on that aspect. Uh, we made the mistakes in the past to 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 believe that chemistry will answer everything and uh, And there are more and more uh, uh, research done, and I would like to highlight one organization called HFR uh, which belongs to uh, to uh, Homeopathy Research Institute in uh, London, England. And they work with multiple centers in Germany and all over Europe, in Italy and in many other countries um, to work on that aspect. There's a, I'm telling you, it's the biggest challenge for homeopathy for this upcoming 10 years. Hmm. We keep hearing, oh, there's no research made or they don't spend, you know, enough time about, you know, on that aspect. And in fact, it's not true. We are, and many other manufacturers are uh, spending, uh, you know, time and energy on on research. We want to know how it works. And, you know, that's Hmm. key.
3: Yeah. And and that's the Homeopathic Research Institute, Danielle, is fantastic for the studies, the clinical trials that are done, the efficacy, the comparison to pharmaceuticals, which is, to me, absolutely the fact. This is something that is not based on subjective analysis, but it's a fact saying this is a comparable outcome to whether it's depression in menopausal women, whether it's ear infections, you know, anything that can be that is typically treated with conventional medicine and why not use something that is going to be much more sustainable for the planet, for people, very, very affordable, and also doesn't harm, you know, doesn't, ag- doesn't harm people. And this is, uh, you know, I'm curious why you feel the next 10 years is going to be the biggest struggle
2: um, or challenge see- rather. I don't see it as a struggle, yes, you're right. it's a challenge, but it's also a great opportunity because you are uh, basically rechallenging the way we are doing we, we are functioning right now in healthcare, and uh, there's a lot of pressure. let's put it this way. you know I'm, I know very well about that. And, um, <laughs> but uh, on the other side, um, it's a good sign that things are shaked up a little bit and they are challenged. Um, in science, you have to challenge. And I'm not a, a researcher, so I will stop there because, of course, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm pharmacist trained, but uh, uh, but I can tell you that there are some positive good news that I, I, I see coming in this uh, next, uh, yeah, five to 10 years. So, but we have to be patient and we have to, to work hard on that.
3: Yes, absolutely. And I think that the public does drive you know to some extent as well as the practitioners so i'm yeah. curious about your in canada in particular um, in terms of the collaboration aspect because in naturopathic medicine we know that this is very split there are some practitioners who embrace homeopathy others who do not and it, so it doesn't it, it really is uh depends on the on the person overall um, so i am curious about when you approach the conventional world or mm-hmm. the alternative, whatever it is, whether it's naturopaths or, or um, physicians, medical physicians, what, what happens? Like what, how does that work?
2: Well, it's, uh, it's interesting. In my career, I've been lucky half of my career and I've been challenged since I came in Canada. In, I came from France where one third of medical doctors are prescribing homeopathy regularly. Hmm. 77% of the population is using homeopathy. So I came from that background and imagine this French guy with this weird accent moving to LA, <laughs> moving to LA in 2003, where wellness was happening. You know, this uh, wellness, well being approach was trendy. And then after we started educating and starting a school, the same school in Europe in uh, the US called the CEDH, the Center of Education and Development of Homeopathy. And we started training American doctors on clinical homeopathy. And it was a struggle, but we saw it after years, after two, three years, it was a big trend because doctors were teaching to medical doctors. Do right. you see what I mean? Yes. And that was a big change. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, California was really open. So we started in California and we spread out all over uh, the U.S. And I can tell you right now, there are over almost 2,000 medical doctors trained, certified on clinical homeopathy from that school. But there wow. are all organizations, huh? of course, right. working well. And I came in Canada in 2015 and I realized how sometimes it's more conservative
3: mm.
2: even with naturopath which was really shock for me yeah and um, but it's okay it's because we didn't do our fair share to educate educate and educate mm-hmm. demystify demystify mm-hmm. and demystify all these misunderstandings such as for example oh it's not a uh, there's yeah. no efficacy, there's right. no research, right. uh, you know, uh, they, there's no good manufacturing practices. I mean, there's a lot of things I've heard here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, more and more Canadians are asking and looking for it. They want more natural therapies that are safe, safe for their kids, safe for their, uh, you know, elderly patients, yeah. and also uh, efficient so the, the the demand is there there's almost five thousand four point nine million canadians that are using homeopathy and how many of them
1: are self-prescribing though because they're, they're, how many of those are, are self-prescribing because there is studies that indicate that people who actually go to a homeopath uh, or a naturopath or whoever that knows what they're doing they have much much better results than people who are going in and <laughs> you know, the health food store and, and self basically they're self-medicating.
2: You're totally right. If you are seeing a good homeopathy, well-trained or naturopath, well-trained on homeopathy, or even a physicians. Now you can find some physicians out there, especially in GTA in Ontario mm-hmm. and, uh, and also in BC, you, you, then you have better results because they will run a consultation, ask you the right questions in terms of your symptoms, the theology of your symptoms, The localization of your symptoms I can go on and on Mm. and then they will find the right medicine for the right symptoms. Going to a health food store is great if you have already already some knowledge on on Arnica, for example. If you know that Arnica is effective for bruising and pain, muscle pain, then yes, why not? But if you are dealing with a chronic joint pain, then it's a little bit more serious and you need to see a
3: practitioner that is well-trained. Right. Yeah, right. absolutely. So the the in terms of uh, Canada in, and the shifting that is hopefully happening, that people are learning and getting a sense of, of there is evidence that's there, I think that that's slowly starting to trickle out. I am curious about the journals and the publications because I know that, that that's been criticized a lot in terms of Uh, Where are these studies? And they are there. It's just that they're not typically um, in the ones that are, you know, well, really, really well known um, for the conventional world, I would say. And I don't know if I'm just making that up in terms of an assumption, but it's what I remember, you know, learning and what what I typically see when people criticize that there's no evidence.
2: You're totally right, Alexia. That was the biggest struggle that I had to deal with, not only patients, but practitioners, but also authorities. Um, it was the, the, our, our priority is to rectify this misunderstanding. When I tell people, you know, it's more than 200 years of clinical observations and research, let's be practical. What does it mean? Right now, if you go on PubMed and, uh, and many other platforms, there are 13,400 observations, uh, articles, I would say, publications, sorry, sorry for English. Out of these 13,000 publications, there are 9,500 clinical studies, and the remaining ones are biological studies and even more, pharmacoepidemiology studies. So saying there's, there's no research, we need more research. We need, in fact, more, more uh, uh, updated research. Right. Absolutely. And that, that's our priority. But saying there's no research is wrong. Mm-hmm. There are over more than 10,000, I say 13,400 uh, uh, publications. Are they all perfect? Well, I encourage everyone to educate themselves on the HRI website. Mm-hmm. You Google HRI, uh, HRI uh, research, Homeopathy, and you find this website where they really selected the best studies, yeah, the ones that are randomized, double-blind, well-done, you know, and uh, and and then it's a good way to 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 demystify and and, and get the right information. Yeah, don't don't get me wrong, Gordon and Alex, I'm not saying everything is perfect. There are some studies that might be a little bit more should requires, in fact, more studies and more work to do. Sure. But saying there's no studies or ba- they are all bad, yeah. no, the world is not black or white anymore. Look at me,
3: I'm mixed. It's
2: it's mixed. <laughs> and that's the
3: way it is. Yeah, that's it, it is mixed. And I think that, that concept of working collaboratively, you know, whether okay. this is supportive, regardless of, you know, if somebody has to be on conventional medication, so be it. But it, whatever is going to help them and support their system as well, I think is incredibly powerful. And I think that, you know, the, the funding aspect is also interesting to me in terms of where is the funding coming from?
2: Well, the fundings, um, let's be frank, the funding comes from either the countries, the states under the healthcare system, like for example, in Switzerland. In Switzerland, the government decided to take a look at that. It says, is it really worth it to keep the reimbursement of homeopathy? And they looked at all the research and everything, and they they did some. They looked at the meta analysis that were uh, published out there, and they really the conclusion was yes, we're going to keep this product to be reimbursed in Germany. Oh,
3: so it's reimbursed to the uh, to the cl- the patient whoever buys the remedy that's reimbursed. Oh, interesting. Yes, Alexia, okay. yes.
2: And also in Germany. In Germany, during the, the, the challenging period that we lived uh, a, two years ago in Europe, you know, homeopathy was challenged all over the Europe. The German, uh, I mean, uh, uh, government said, okay, let's take a look at that. And and they, the conclusion was still the same, to remain, to, to, to keep this reimbursement. Um, now in other countries, the reimbursement didn't ha- uh, was not maintained. Let's be frank. But... Um, how can I say it? It's either it's reimbursed by, to answer your questions, by the government or manufacturers. It has to be, c- come from somewhere. Yeah. But of course, we don't have the same budget as the big pharma, which is fine. But um, I, can re- I can talk about what I know. At Bo- Boiron, at Wahong worldwide, we are investing more and more on research. Yeah. Of course,
3: I cannot say that much, but um, uh, that's one of our priorities. Yeah, which is, which is fantastic. And, and you know, if people want to support the research, um, I know Gord had mentioned this around how, uh, you know, the royal family is known, very well known for using homeopathy. And I know that the homeopath who treated them for years, I think he died a few years ago or five, I don't know how many years ago in a bike accident. And yes. I, I don't remember his name, sadly. Dr. Dr. Okay, Fisher, yeah, yeah, but he treated—he was—that's a big part of the royal family, right? In Absolutely. And look how no. old they, are. yeah. Peter I think Dr.
2: Fisher should have been
1: using it himself.
3: No I'm sure. oh, <laughs>
2: I, 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 I don't know. I can talk to you about that because uh, Peter Fisher was my close friend. Oh I'm sorry. Uh, such you know, such a, a, a nice guy came to, by the way, in Canada and the US to support, to meet the FDA, to meet Health Canada. And uh, this guy was the most knowledgeable mm-hmm. expert on research in the world. Really? And I can I can tell you the skeptics on the other side were uh, uh concerned about that, let's put it this way. Yeah. And mm. he was he was the physician of the queen. Um, But such a passionate man that wanted to, what what really drives this guy was injustice. Hmm. He found that we were treating homeopathy unfairly. And that's the common value that him and I had at that time. And um, he spent all his life, you know, he was a physician, you know, uh, a And yeah, he did uh, everything he could to rectify uh, what need need to be rectified. Wow. Wow.
1: Well, it was, you know, uh, I mean, I I certainly know that, uh, you know, just their longevity alone. (laughs) um, And she has more energy than, you know, a whole lot of people keeps going. So I thought that maybe they should kick in some money here (laughs) towards research. They've got a few dollars extra, I think. Uh, so I thought the Royal Family should be one of your sponsors. Well,
2: it's not- I'm nominating. Uh, yeah, it's not uh, a sponsor of Wow well, or any manufacturers. It, they, 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 I know some organizations are helping the HRI, which is a very independent organization. Right. Dedicated on research. and uh, And this organization needs to be supported for sure. And they are.
3: Right, right. Good. and that that's that's actually was more my question is around also supporting the research really because that's really what's going to keep supporting keep driving this forward and and really you know it shows that there are some people that need the 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 intellect to be satisfied and sometimes I think part of being curious and being able to accept that we maybe do not know exactly how something works is not necessarily a bad thing or a negative thing, mm. it, because it's such a, a huge aspect of unknown. But if there's a judgment that no, if we don't understand it, you can't work it. And I know, I know that in pharmaceuticals there are medications that you can't, you don't know how it works, you know, that that. Uh, but it still works, right?
2: you're totally right when we look at aspirin for example we had to wait until the 1970s to finally understand how it used to work but that did not really? block uh, you know the practitioners to recommend aspirin
1: exactly. prior to that yeah or, or or uh um you know things like amphetamines that are given to, to kids that are add or
3: ADD. yeah yeah and diclectin for nausea and pregnancy and you know wow, So we need to uh, segue here
1: into a commercial. Um, Speaking of ADD, I'm just going to bounce around Uh, um, (laughs) and we'll be back in two minutes. Thank you.
3: Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa,
1: play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn.
0: It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together.
1: It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
0: Listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Alexia Georgusis. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now back to Things Worth
1: Considering. Hi, welcome back, and we are talking about the interesting, fascinating world of homeopathy uh, with uh, Mr. Danielle Drescher. Um so, where are we talking about right now? It got very cold in my office, by the way. Did it? That's why I lost track. I
3: needed to go find something to wear. It's good <laughs> you did, because if the heat's down, no, you don't want to be cold. No, we, well, where we left off was just the aspect of of funding research in homeopathy, and, and that is starting to make ground or take, you know, in terms of gain ground, rather, in terms of Europe. And in terms of North America and Canada, is there a sense of... Um, interest? Or is there, um, you know, I I guess I'm speaking more from both the naturopathic as well as the conventional aspect. Um,
2: It's a a good question. Um, It depends in Canada in which provinces uh, you are located. Let's put it this way. In Ontario, for example, there's a college, it's well-recognized. There's a college of homeopaths. Um, and it's a profession, a medical profession, recognized, which is great, which is happening in many, many states um, and uh, in the the United States, but also in Europe. Uh, In BC, uh, finally, the the College of Physicians are uh, opening the door for integrative medicine, including homeopathy, naturopathy, and, and many others, acupuncture and many others, which is a good thing. However, in Quebec, It's uh, it's a different story, let's let's be polite. Uh, We're not facing the same situation. There's more pressure and there's, uh, yeah, we're dealing with more uh, obstacles.
3: Right, right. Interesting, interesting. And and in
1: terms of the science- It has
2: been such a forerunner
1: in things like human rights and has broken through so many things judicially that then affects the entire country. So to hear that there's actually, you know, impediments towards movement of you know a, a non-traditional healthcare into expanding an integrative approach i just find fascinating because it almost it blows
2: in in the the whole history of that province it's it's very fascinating the homeopathy was started in quebec before in canada you know in canada 30 years ago uh, five, okay years ago. Yeah, and when you look how uh, Quebec is open to wellness with you know essential oils and many other aspects, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's it, it was challenging for me to understand you know how everything started from Quebec and practitioners were starting res- prescribing and recommending it, to to see how conservative the system is right now. Mm. But but going answering your questions, I think they are. Great opportunities in Canada, but it will take time. Um, you, the, the, the patients are asking for more. The market is growing. The, the the demand is growing. But again, I go back to education, education, education. Yeah. Okay. Having the right education to the right practitioner, you know, will make the big difference.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember um, years ago, I did, I did some t- some talks at a couple of hospitals in Toronto. And I was approached by a couple of MDs during the talk, a few MDs would come to me and they said, I I really, I use homeopathy, but I don't, I don't let really anybody know, but I use this as much as I can. And it was sort of interesting. I'm not sure how the if they uh, now in terms of the College of, of Physicians and Surgeons in ter- and in terms of acceptance as as the because there's we're such a litigious society. There's so much fear. There's so much, you know, the uh, aspect around again when people say that homeopathy is dangerous. I always think, well, maybe look at what happens with Conventional pharmaceuticals and the danger that happens when people take those, which is not, is not really public knowledge, right?
2: Absolutely. What you are saying is, is really interesting, Alexia. If you knew how many plastic and cosmetic surgeons are using Arnica, you will be amazed. Mm-hmm. Really? The, really? The, ma- the majority of physicians injecting Botox or doing any kind of invasive or non-invasive procedures. They know about Arnica, they trust Arnica, they recommend Arnica to their patients. Mm. And Arnica is the entry, you know, uh, you know. Uh, once you start mm. with Arnica, you know, and you see the results yeah. on bruising and pain. Absolutely. And you start, you know, opening your mind. Um, and that's what I've been, you know, after eight, 20 years, what I've been observing. Okay. Um, but also on the pediatric level, you know, how many pediatricians, uh, feel safe to recommend yeah. a homeopathic cough syrup or a, a homeopathic product, you know, uh, for baby teething. You know, uh, for exactly. example, I would say our camellia or product camellia is yeah. number one for baby yeah. teething in 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 Canada. Well, yeah, it's a great
3: product. I mean, I've I've used that with clients before. It's a, fant- a fantastic product for teething, um, and say and again the safety. And yeah. what I I think is interesting to share is that. The concept that homeopathy is not dosed the way that conventional, whether it's supplements or drugs are, it's not taken for, you know, an an endless amount of time. So can you speak about that a little bit around the dosing and maybe preparation of the remedies?
2: Yes, absolutely. But before I go there, I just want to make sure that people understand that it's not once against the other. There's yeah. a place for everything and it's okay to combine regular conventional medication with homeopathic medicine. So regarding the dosage and, uh, and how it's manufactured. First of all, we are following the good manufacturing practices. Okay, so we don't do uh, our preparation in the kitchen uh, the way we want it, depending on our mood. <laughs> <Right>. So <laughs> you're dealing with technicians, lab techs, and even a pharmacist overseeing it. And uh, you see you're dealing with machines that are well calibrated, everything is traceable. And you know, basically you take a substance like Arnica or could be coffee acruda for, you know, the coffee beans. Yes. And, you, and, and, you, and you dilute at a scale of 1%. 10 percent, you take one percent into a new vial and you add alcohol for stability purposes and you shake it. So it's called the denization or the succussion. So it's 150 times 7.5 seconds. And basically, you and then you repeat to a second dilution of a one percent and you keep on and on and on and on. And this is a, a, a manufacturing process that has been following the pharmacopoeia and you know and uh, and the tradition. Uh, so it's not something that has been improvised. It's a manufacturing uh, uh, process that has been established for two hundred years.
3: Hmm. Yeah, fascinating. And it's it's it is. Uh, and I I'm glad that you brought that up, Danielle. It's not to be one or the other in terms of conventional medicine and homeopathy i think that we are in a place in the world now more than ever where we have to be collaborating as a as a system of balance you know in terms of health care so that it's not sick care right exactly yeah, yeah. exactly yeah think. Yeah, okay. so, so and i think yeah sorry Gord. go ahead no no
1: i was i was going to be selfish here for a moment um uh you know i'm a psych, you know I'm a psychotherapist you yeah know? so i'm just curious um you know, certainly in the world of herbal, uh, you know, we have like St. John's wort, but yeah, it comes yeah. with a lot of difficulties if you were on other medications and, and so on. It's actually prescribed one to six over an SSRI in Germany, yeah. you know, people are more likely to get uh, St. John's wort. But I'm wondering, you know, do, are there psychotherapeutic remedies and so on for things like, you know, depression and anxiety that exist within homeopathy?
2: There are a bunch of uh, several medications for uh, sleep disorders, uh, relieving depression or anxiety and stress. And of course, uh, seeing the right practitioner well trained makes the big difference. Sure. But um, for example, I would like to highlight a study. You know, every time I go back to evidence based, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a study called, uh, in fact, it's multiple studies called EPI3. EPI3. Everybody can Google it. And there are two studies that were run on um, stress, anxiety, in fact, and depression and depressive disorders. Uh, one of them was done on 316, I guess, or, uh, patients. And the outcome of this uh, uh, pharmacoepidemiology study, it showed that the doctors, the medical doctors in France, because they were all in France, that prescribed a homeopathic medicine with a benzodiazepam or any psycho you know uh, psychotropic drugs and and and, and then they, they 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 looked also at the outcome of physicians recommending only regular conventional medications they realized that the physicians the patients treated by the first classification which is a physician using homeopathy and a benzo these patients were using three times less benzos Wow, For the same outcome, same results, so no loss of opportunities. And so when you keep hearing some people saying, oh, yes, it's just placebo. Right, fine. And you keep hearing, you know, well, you know, um, it's not well studied. Fine, as well. But you realize that, in fact, these, these patients were, were, in fact, as well treated using less toxic, well, drugs that can have some side effect and drug interactions. Mm-hmm. And they, they had better results because they, they, the safety was there on, on top of it.
1: And placebo is very well studied. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Herbert uh, Benson uh, you know, at Harvard, he, he did like a definitive, you know, uh, uh, study in this whole area. It's I an absolutely. important area.
3: Well so and the, and the placebo if
1: you feel better, you know?
3: Exactly. And, and when people say placebo, I also think look at when you see the response in in uh, children yeah. who who are very young and they're not they're not going into the thinking mode. And the same with with veterinarians, veterinary younger. veterans, I can't say the uh, word <laughs> veterinary <laughs> doctors, veterinarians. Thank you, Gordon. <laughs> but using homeopathy in addition to whatever drugs that are needed, but even just that on its own amazing impact on the animals.
2: Absolutely. Please explain me how a horse will understand what is, you know, a drug, not a drug. Uh, But I can tell you one story, personal story. Uh, Last year, we had a media crisis in Quebec, and I was dealing with spasms, gourd, and uh, and anxiety and stress. And I tried two things. I don't want to tell the names. Anyhow, didn't work. Did some, you know, uh, scan and whatever to find what was happening. Couldn't find it. And at one point, I received a call when I came back from France from my physician who's happening that is also a homeopath. And he called me and said, Daniel, I'm sorry to tell you, but you have to take this medicine. The name, I was always laughing about this medicine because it's a specific patient type of profile. And I took it. And when I take a homeopathic medicine, uh, Alexian and Gord, I'm always a skeptic. I always mm. tell myself it's not going to work. Mm. <laughs> And it's not always working. I don't know any medicine that works 100%. But I took that medicine three times at night and in the morning. And I didn't deal with any spasms anymore. You have to explain whatever you want, the way you want it. Uh, I don't care. I'm like St. Thomas. I only believe uh, <laughs> or what I see. Yeah. I, you will never hear from me that I believe or I don't believe. It's not a religion. Homeopathy is not a religion. Right. The question is to find out if it works Yes. or oh, it doesn't work.
3: Yep.
1: Is it evidence-based? Correct. You know, evidence-based Fantastic. Consideration, the patient's input, not just yeah. scientific study. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. 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 That's really great. Interesting. Really interesting. You know, I really want to thank you for coming and uh, sharing. We'd love to have you back. I could just like listen to you and learn more. Um, I find the whole area quite fascinating, actually, that laws similar similar, especially when you've been dealing with the law of attraction and negative and positive. And anyways, uh, thank you so much, Danielle. For-
3: thank you, Daniel, very much. Thank you, Alexia.
2: Thank you, Gord. It's a pleasure. You know, have my number now, so you know yeah. where to find me.
3: Yes.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I just want to uh, tell uh, people about uh, next week. We have actually an artist by the name of Jane Grilly, Greenlee. Uh, she's a study fine arts at the University of Toronto, and her main focus was on photography, printmaking, and painting, and has had a number of shows. Um, she says that she got a little bit straight from her path and studied alternative herbal medicine and has continued, actually, in that field, um, and is uh, does uh, pagan shamanic practices, uh, which has become a big part of her life. She has gone back to art with her shamanic training and uh, she sounds quite fascinating. Uh, one of the things she says is that nature has been an inspiration, a healer to me, a message. Uh, a message is to look for beauty. Magic is everywhere, be with the trees. We're connected to everything. Um, and I happen to agree. If you'd like to be in touch with us, we're at info at spiritgrowth.ca. We thank you, stay well, stay safe, and we will be back here next week. Thank you, Daniel. Thank, thank you.
3: Good night, everyone.
0: Thank you for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Alexia Georgiousis and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, Think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are.